0: Welcome to Merrick's Doubling Path. Before we begin today's show, just a quick shout-out to a great initiative. For all Bitcoiners in Asia, you should know that Bitcoin for India, which is a volunteer-led group of Indian Bitcoiners, is organizing Asia's largest Bitcoin only conference on the 5th and 6th of November at Goa, India. Catch up with plebs from all around the world, be part of the conversation, join in on the various workshops, all while being surrounded by lush green forest and picturesque beaches for more details visit www.bitcoinforindia.org conference that's bitcoin for india as in b-i-t-c-o-i-n the number four i-n-d-i-a dot slash conference hope to see you there and now let's get back to the show Hey Jake thanks for making the time I know this was like really last minute and I've lately I've been put on to your podcast which I've been which has like yeah it's really interesting and like some of the guests that you uh, had on there but let's start like cuz your podcast is like sort of similar to what I do as well but but more focused on bitcoin but so let's start with your like can you give my audience a background about yourself
1: Well absolutely um First of all, so let me pronounce correctly. So it's Merrick, is that how I say Merrick, it? Merrick, yes, that's right. So Merrick, yeah. First of all, thank you very much for um for getting in touch today and um asking me on to your podcast. It's always great to meet new people and I love the way that everyone's very open and willing to you know get in touch, etc. So yeah, thank you for that. Uh, my story, wow. Um, we've only got an hour. I mean, I could I could talk too <laughs> long, so I have to be very careful not to talk too much. Um, but I think the, the best way for me to start this is what I'm doing right now, which is I have a podcast. It's called Bitcoin with Jake. Um, it touches on you know, basically every single subject I've ever come across, to be honest, is mm. the innovation that's happening in what we call money, what we know as money, is it's quite incredible. Um, whether you're interested in subjects such as human rights, whether you're interested in economics and finance, whether you're interested in history. Whether you're interested in sustainability and long-term decision-making, there's something for you in this subject. Um, So yeah, I'm a podcaster in my spare time, that is. Uh, Mm. I have a job in what I call the fiat mining uh, space now, so I work as a shipping broker. I'm helping to move large quantities of dry bulk cargo around the world, um, Mm. specifically in the dry bulk space, so coal, iron ore, grain, sand, cement. I've had two stabs at this particular career, so five years from 2011 to 2016, and then I spent five years in startups, um, trying to get businesses of my own going and doing some angel investing, and none of them worked out, so I ended up back as a shipbroker. I'm also a dad, and I'm married, and I've got my second baby on the way in a couple weeks' time, so yeah, lots going on, Merrick.
0: Yeah. But like, uh, so when was the first that you got introduced to Bitcoin? Like, Just let's just get straight into that bit then.
1: Sure. So uh, I bought my first Bitcoin in 2015. Okay. Um, I had a friend, I always say this, shout out to Dan Burke, if he's ever listening. Uh, I was based in Singapore at the time. And yep. Dan was like, mate, you've got to have a look at this Bitcoin thing. And I was like, okay. So I did. And with a very, very small percentage of my portfolio, I bought some Bitcoin. I didn't really know what I'd bought. I didn't really know why it was important. And um, it was my first kind of like step into the space as a a Bitcoin hodler, as it's now described. Mm -hmm. Um, That was December 2015. We had a nice little bull run at the time. So I decided to sell some and take my girlfriend at the time, my now wife, on holiday to Japan. And then we did some travel in 2017. There was what's known now as the block size. War, so there was right. a, a big internal fight within the community of Bitcoin mm-hmm. about uh, how to build out the technology that's underneath it, and I was a bit sketchy about what the result would be. And frankly, no one knew what was going to yes. happen, so I sold some more. And um, <laughs> you know, I'd made some great gains, I'd made I, made, yep. I think maybe like a uh, 8x on my initial purchase. And you're like, Well, Jake, this is the best thing you've ever bought, so yep. don't be scared to take some profit, yes. Um, I also amusingly, and after the hard fork, um, got a whole load of extra Bitcoin. This is January of 2018. Um, And just to highlight some of the silly things I did with my Bitcoin. So I was basically, I was going on holidays, I was Mm. selling it for um, very short term uh, needs. Mm. And I even went as far as exchanging Bitcoin cash for a 1980s Mercedes SL classic car um, nice. from a rapper in a north london car park <laughs> and i sold it about two months later for roughly the same equivalent of what i bought it for but in okay, that, yep. pounds so yep. i kind of cleaned my bitcoin cash uh, quite nicely in a sense but yes. um, it was a useless car and i just i just wasn't thinking about bitcoin in the same way i do now right and that that meant that so from 2015 to 2018 i sold off roughly 75% of what i owned it yep. was probably Maximum 10% of my um, my kind of brain, like what, what's the right way of describing this, um, my day-to-day life, how much brain power I put into Bitcoin was still very small as a proportion to everything else. So I was yep. more focused on other subjects, shall we say. Right. Um, and I eventually, I essentially forgot about it. So from 2018 all the way through to 2020, when we saw the kind of the pandemic um ramifications globally and yeah really i can pin it to a point at which i saw a a youtube and the very now famous michael saylor um, on a interview with raul powell on real vision which at the time i thought was a good source of of investing information Um, i can remember specifically the title it says bitcoin infiltrates corporate america and right. as we know now, Saylor had gone off without telling anyone in the market per se, getting his lawyers, getting his accountants, mm. all these stock listed approval regulatory required steps to be approved. And he went and bought $400 million worth of Bitcoin. Yep. And that was just a massive moment. It was really when I looked up and I thought, oh my gosh, this stuff I've been playing around with is actually like an extremely legitimate investment. <laughs> and... Wow, what an opportunity it represents. And that's really what kicked off what is now the last two years of complete, like every waking hour has been spent learning and reading and watching yes. and listening to things about Bitcoin. Yep. Um, and I guess an important part of that Michael Saylor story being uh to rewind my personal story, um uh, it's now well, well over 10 years ago. My father sadly died. He was only 48 at the time. Mm-hmm. So there was a shock death in the family and um, we sold our family property. So right. I was very fortunate to inherit some money. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I'd exchange that to have my dad still around today, but um, you know, you have to deal with the situation that you find yourself in. So you get given yep. money, you're in your 20s. What do you do with it? Well, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you give it to the next generation, whoever that might be. Right? How do you do that? Oh, can't you just keep it in the bank? No, mm-hmm. you can't because inflation eats your cash. So what do you do? Will you invest? So I got into investing and right. I listened to Michael Saylor say that in his opinion, the way to give the person that was running his company a hundred years from now, the best opportunity to do so in a successful way was to use Bitcoin as a, a reserve asset, basically. Right. And I was like, holy shit. That is exactly the same lens I've been trying to use when investing in items, assets, products for my inheritance that I was given. And he just taught me how to do it basically in one small sentence. I'd been looking for something all along. It was like inflation proof, easy to look after, easy to Mm. split, Um, a load of different reasons why we now know and love Bitcoin. It makes so much sense for people who are managing family wealth. and. That's really where you know I come at it, basically. So it's a it's a it's a cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a new type of money. It's a neutral network that's accessible to anywhere in the world to anyone, um, and is an incredible, incredible innovation or invention. It's a discussion in itself. But right. yeah, it, it's I, I came at it from a store of value perspective. So that's a little bit about my 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 story. Got aspect. it.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to roll back a bit. So you said you you lost your father, yeah. and and that's but that's when you sold the property and then that's yeah so so dad died
1: on um january the 1st 2009 so new year's day in the uk it was a fucking miserable day Mm. um Mm -hmm. got a phone call from my mom missed call oh not gonna answer that again you know sitting on your mate's sofa at a house party hung over and um you know, you get like three missed calls. You're like, fuck, I better call back. And she's like, Yep, yeah, no, he's come home. You know, your dad's dead. It's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. It, was, it was awful, to be honest, Mary. Really awful. People deal with uh, this. I, I, in their
0: sorry, I'll just, uh, yeah, sorry to hear that. And let's okay. just add here that I had the same experience. Like, but this was one morning, my mom's like waking me up and like, and she's like, There's someone at the door and he's saying your dad died. Wow. Yeah. And like, my dad had just gone for his jog and he does that every morning and like and he had a heart attack at like while jogging and this was probably yeah i can't remember five six years ago like yeah yeah
1: yeah it's intense isn't it yes yeah Yeah. suddenly everything changes yes you you just didn't expect something like that to happen and you know life's different Mm. um and then you have to just cope well how do you cope with it in many different ways drink drugs running away from home you know you name Mm. it there's lots of different things at least i tried to do to kind of mask the pain yeah um, yeah, so that mm. was two thousand and nine. And Merrick, thank you for sharing that as well. I find more often than not, many of us have a lot in common when it comes to losing our nearest and dearest, and it's yes. a very bonding kind of subject to be honest. Because you yep. just you know how it feels. It's, yes, it's tough.
0: And I was, just before recording, I was listening to your podcast with Robert. Robert Breedlove. Yes, and then yeah, he I spoke about and, it as well. And he yeah. spoke about it as well. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's um. Yeah, that was interesting. I didn't expect him to say that, right? But until you share a a comment like that, then you just, you don't hear these things. Mm. So yeah, so to answer your question, so dad was 2009. By the back end of 2010, so within two years, we'd sold his house and he inherited Mm. it from his father and his father inherited it from his father. I was the eldest son. Mm -hmm. I would have, in theory, inherited it from him. It was in his will that I would get it, but the day we decided to sell, it became a a family discussion and there was a trust and there's a whole load of um kind of backstory to all of that but Mm -hmm. the the long story short a percentage of the value of that family home was in my hands at a very young age and i had to work out what to do with it Mm. Um, and here i am i mean roughly my my investing career is now i'm 10 years in Yep. Um, I've made some great investments and I've made some shit investments. And I guess yep. that's just life, right? They call right. it tuition fees. I would argue Yes. it's, yes. it's you know, <laughs> I'm just currently trying to exit a, a property position in, in London right. and I've been smashed, literally smashed. And I just got it, got it wrong. And these things mm. happen. And, you know, I was making big decisions as a 25 year old that I didn't understand the ramifications of getting it wrong. I only yep. saw the upside. I didn't see the downside. And mm. hopefully you, you, you gain from these things. Um, yes. But yeah, so, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, we can talk more about all sorts of different things. You you tell me what you want to go to.
0: No, no, no. So, so, yeah, so since you got that money, but then that's where you decide, like, that's where you were forced to, or you were compelled to, like, uh, figure out how to invest that money or save that money for the next generation of yourself, right? And then, but you found Bitcoin and you realized, like, Bitcoin 2020, and in that, interim period you are like probably investing in some other assets investing in property and yeah but and also like like since you found bitcoin around 2016 i think you mentioned or 2015 uh did you uh, like was there like i think ethereum cropped up somewhere around 2016 so did you dabble in any of those you you did use bitcoin cash but did you like get into ethereum Mm, or any of mm. those other
1: cryptocurrencies that were around then so um I guess to just to take take a step back in a sense. So uh, you've mentioned two words that are really important to define. So one is invest and one is save. Yes. Now, I actually just want to save. Mm. I don't necessarily want to be an investor. I want to take the value I've been given and I want to make sure that it's safe and it can be passed on to the next generation. Now, the problem in a, a scenario like we all find ourselves in currently where central banking has become the de facto way of running economies, and mm-hmm. they're extremely influential. I, I went through a business school, did an undergraduate in business management, I studied central banking, I studied all these subjects that are, in hindsight, very supportive of the status quo, and you start to peel back the onion slightly, and there's all sorts of different incentive models that don't make sense, and you have to start unlearning stuff. That's as far as I've come. But yep. um, the, the way that they are, as a result of being a central bank, working in cahoots with government now, <clears throat> these exist pretty much as a structure all over the world, but the Federal Reserve is probably the best example because that tends to be the most powerful. And okay. the US dollar is the reserve currency of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, they can print more of it whenever they want. So what does this mean? Well, this means that currencies are inflating. All of mm-hmm. them are inflating. And historically, historically, Every single fiat currency ever invented by humans has failed. Why? Because having your fingers close to the money, the honey pot, it's 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 impossible not to to delve your fingers in there. And yep. you take a little bit to pay off those little bits. You have to take some more, and then you take mm-hmm. some more, and then you take some more. And before you know it, you know I've heard people describe monetary modern monetary policy today as like a heroin addict. You know, each hit, mm. you go back for more. So right. we saw a $4 trillion stimulus in the States back in 2020. Yes. The next one is what we're all watching for. And I think yes. the Bitcoin bull run is going to be brilliantly timed to it. Funnily enough, as the supply side gets squeezed yep. is when are the feds going to, when are they going to start easing the rate hikes? You know, when's that going to yep. happen? We don't know. But as a 23 year old, you know, I've got this money. I'm in a world in which the the British pounds I would given, if mm-hmm. I just sat them in a bank, Purchasing power, which is to say the things I can buy with 100 pounds in, mm-hmm. you know, so let's say this was 2000 and for sake of argument, let's say 2012. Yeah. So 10 years ago. So the amount of stuff that I can buy with 100 pounds in 2022 is different to 2012. So I've lost purchasing power over the last yeah. 10 years. So my 100 pounds no longer buys me as much stuff. Why is that? Well, because people are able to print more pounds. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the actual statistics are for British pounds, I can't remember, but roughly 40% of all US dollars in circulation have been in input to the system in the last five years. Right, An absolutely yes. extraordinary amount of money printing has been done. So what this means is you have what's supposedly cash or your reserve balance, your reserve asset, mm-hmm. it's dwindling in value over time. It's a very, very important distinction, this, between saving and investing. So I cannot currently save when I put my money in cash in a bank somewhere uh, because of inflationary monetary policy. So what do I do? Well, I have to invest investing means i take risk i can buy Mm. any kind of asset i want i could buy a classic car i could buy cryptocurrency i could buy a bond i could buy a stock i could buy other types of currencies in some cases i could buy commodities like gold there's there's a huge 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 world of investing out there fine wine real estate you know you name it right
0: jake can i just interject here one moment of course yeah so i just want to say so did you realize like the your purchasing power is decreasing at like at like when you were 24 or in back in 2012 that is like a
1: yeah so i, I understood inflation then i okay. didn't understand how important it was going to become to my way of thinking yep um and frankly inflation rates weren't as bad as they are now yes. so mm-hmm. it wasn't as much of a problem um You know, the the thing about, you know, saving per se is when you're not only is your money decreasing in value in Mm -hmm. purchasing power terms year over year, there's also no necessary upside. So, you know, the the old school phrase of, you know, without risk, there is no reward is the case when it comes to investing, right? So if you don't put money into something and you just sit with that money, well, how are you going to grow that pot of money? You're going to slowly just spend it, right? So you'll have Mm. a pot of savings that dwindles over time this is not very useful. So the the rationale was like, okay, let's go out there and try and grow this pot of money that you've been given. Mm. And so with that, I was like, well, obviously you need to start investing in stuff. So I took myself off to to the city of London and I met with a bunch of companies that were um, what they call wealth management businesses, or most of the world call them financial advisors. So they're regulated... Um, organizations with you know highly skilled professionals in them that are capable of managing a portfolio of wealth, and they spread it across a diversified portfolio. Traditionally, this is what they call the 60-40 mm. equities bonds or bonds equities uh, yes. portfolio, that in the last 30 to 40 years, since 1971, interestingly, um, which is when mm-hmm. the US officially went off the gold standard, this portfolio has done brilliantly because there's been incredible inflationary growth in the equities markets. Um, Now, you know, what did I invest in? So I I invested in a portfolio of public market available goods through a financial advisor. I took 50% of my money and put it into that. And I took another 50% and I went into the London real estate business. So I was buying, I bought apartments with um, leveraged debt. So buy to let mortgages and did renovations and sat on them. So I created yield from having tenants in there and creating rent um, and follow what is essentially a, a traditional leveraged real estate portfolio where you're trying to get into a situation where the amount of capital or equity that you have in a house um, is a small percentage versus your loan. And therefore you get a very good loan to value ratio you, know, can you, you can get cheap debt, right? Where well, you used to be able to get cheap debt before recent times. And therefore you could lock that in with an interest rate of like a couple of percent for five years. So it meant that you've got financing costs. If you can get up and over them, then you're making at least a few percent per year in yield, um, which is the equivalent of a dividend, basically, that you'd mm-hmm. get from a stock. Um, so, I mean, look, I am, I'm a self-taught investor. Um, yeah. I've made mistakes and I've made some gains. And... There are a, a number of people out there that will help you through this process, um, but it's really all just led me to Bitcoin, basically. Like yeah. All of these things I was mm. trying before aren't as good at doing their job as what Bitcoin is. And so that's why I'm such a big bull on Bitcoin and want people to learn about it and get educated about it, and specifically why Bitcoin and crypto in the, in the media on a day-to-day basis are described interchangeably, but they're very, very different beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just say, um, you know, you get given a pot of apples. You say you get told not to put all your apples in one basket. You throw your apples at number of different baskets. Some of them get stolen. Some of them get given back to you with 10 X in them. And you eventually get to a conclusion as to like, okay, this is probably what my worldview is. This has been successful for me. Let me specialize in this space. And that's what I do, which is Bitcoin. Got it.
0: Uh, and like since exploring all of this. Has your view on investing in property changed now? And it's like, does property investments make sense anymore? Or like, it doesn't make sense at
1: all? No, for me, none of it makes sense. None of it at all. And that's because Bitcoin is just better at what I need. So right. there's, there's really two things that I'm looking for in an investment that are, well, two things is that's a, a very high. Um, let me think about this so there's, there's just there's a whole heap of problems with that more traditional wealth management strategy I described where you own mm. money you, you have assets in the public markets and you have physical real estate mm-hmm. there's a number of problems with them that I didn't necessarily realize were problems until Bitcoin came along yes. and gave me a solution that actually is so much easier that I now see those traditional investments as problems does that mm-hmm. make sense Yes. so you know risk. What's the risk of owning uh, a portion of a software network that's decentralized, has rules that are fixed and never change, and no one can switch off? Mm-hmm. Risk is far lower, in my opinion, than owning a stock that has, let's say, a mining company, which has a huge supply chain, has a number of different operational things that can go wrong, and in a, a market downturn, like you're not going to sell as much stuff. That's a, okay. that's a huge kind of operational risk or the risk of owning a house. Now you've got normal things like I could catch fire. Okay, you can get insurance for that. But what happens if you own a house in an area that's run by a government that actually suddenly turns on the people and Mm. tells you that you've got to double your taxes in order to keep that house or they take it off you? You know, do you truly own those things? Mm. And I think that the, the second part to this then is then ownership. So what's the risk of doing something? But then equally, what does it mean to own something? So when I have a, a Bitcoin in a self-custody setup that only me is, the, I'm the only person in the world that can move Bitcoin out of that wallet, that's the closest to true ownership of anything I think humans have almost ever come. There are, there are people out there that will describe this in a far more eloquent way than myself. But now let's take three examples here, an equity, a, a piece of real estate, and a Bitcoin. What does it mean to own these three things? Well, if you own some equity, you have a you know a share certificate, mm. and it's likely been purchased via some kind of regulated exchange, and it's done within a jurisdiction, so the United States or the United Kingdom or Australia. Um, With real estate, you get a piece of paper that says, I own this place, it's 400 square meters, it's in Southeast uh, Melbourne suburb somewhere, and it's the state government of Victoria that gives you the ability to own real estate within their fiefdom. And then you've got Bitcoin, which is, here is a wallet that you control with a key that no one can take off you with a passphrase that could just be in your head that they can't decipher. And it's very obvious to me that of those three, one is clearly the most favorable in terms of ownership because you can go anywhere with it at any time at no cost. The others you can't necessarily take with you and are very, very open to um, government or or any kind of nefarious party removing them from you. I mean, an example being, look at um, Chelsea Football Club in London recently. Roman Abramovich has lived there for 20 years. He has done God knows what in Russia. I don't know, but they've just taken it off him sorry, mate, we're just taking your football club. And Uh, you go, okay, well, he didn't really ever own it, did he? mm. He was just, you know, chartering that football business whilst the government allowed him to. So, yeah, I mentioned risk and I mentioned ownership. Um, yes. People's opinion of risk is different. Everyone needs to make up their own decision. Um, but those are some of the things I think about when it comes to like, okay, what do I need? Now, third angle to this, and I'm just rattling this off the top of my head. I really should sit down and kind of articulate this better. But um, the other is obviously return on investment. So hmm. where where can I get the best gains on my money? And know you only have to listen to some of the experienced traders in the bitcoin space or investors long-only investors as well they look at something called risk reward and they look at bitcoin as the best risk reward trade they've ever placed in their lives this is 30 year old heavily experienced uh, sorry 60 year old heavily you know 30 years experience going this is the best bet they've ever made what they mean by that is you could go from twenty thousand dollars down to 15 that's a 25 percent drop in the price of your bitcoin that's a big downside in some people's eyes. But look at the stock markets year to date. They've been all over the place, right? Is that any better, owning equity? Mm. Whereas the upside to Bitcoin, you could 20X from here in the next 24 months. It's like, holy shit. This is the best thing you can possibly buy from that risk-reward perspective anyone's ever seen with Mm. low risk if you look at it closely, and then equally you own it. find a better investment for me, and I'm all ears. But okay. the point is, is that the traditional stuff and back to your original question, I've just, it, my thinking has evolved to such an extent that I don't look at those those investments in the same way any longer. I'm like, you just, you don't need them. Yeah. And actually they don't do what you need better than Bitcoin mm. does. Does that make any sense?
0: It does, absolutely, yeah. Uh, but when it comes to your own, like the house that you're currently living in, uh, so say some, for someone like who's, my age or someone younger, older than me, and is looking at, uh, should I save all my, like whatever whatever I save, should I have it in Bitcoin and then just rent out a property or should I purchase a property to live in? I know it could possibly be more of a personal thing, but yeah, would love to get your
1: thoughts on this. Sometimes actions speak louder than words, Merrick. And in this case, they might. Um, uh, gosh, well over 50% of my personal investable portfolio was in real estate 18 months ago. I have sold all of it and I'm buying Bitcoin and I'm mm. going 50% Bitcoin, 50% cash, okay. which to me is really a risk play. It's like, okay, well, if Bitcoin does disappear, which there is a chance it might, I've got some cash flow and I haven't lost everything. And I rent the property I live in, so I okay. believe that. You know, you want your money in the horse that's going to run the fastest when the Fed prints more money. And that's going to happen in the next 12 to 24 months. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, Bitcoin is likely to absolutely fucking fly. And it's not because Bitcoin is gaining in value per se. It's because everything is disintegrating around it. Yes, We saw $4 trillion pumped into the market recently. Mm -hmm. What's it going to be next? 40? Could be. The numbers that are being printed today versus the numbers that were printed in even 2008, the stimulus, I think it was under a trillion. And then they've, they've basically gone and hiked it to four trillion within a decade. Well, what's the next stimulus going to be? 10x on that? I don't know. But yeah. when you have a, a finite asset, so Bitcoin has only got 21 million, and it's 24-7 open, so you can buy at any time of the day, anywhere in the world, people are going to flock, in my opinion, to somewhere where they know they can store value over time. At some stage there will then be a squeeze on supply because every four years the the amount of bitcoin entering the market it slows down and as a result you get this beautiful um kind of parabolic growth that happens when you know supply is just completely squeezed and demand is rampant so i think that um, yeah to your question it's 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 very obvious to me that you could follow a digital asset Focused strategy as an individual, as a family, Mm -hmm. and you really own a a large portion of Bitcoin, and you have enough cash in whichever fiat denomination that you live to pay for your expenses. You, you know, you never own your car outright, you never own your house outright, you never own anything really of physical value that you don't have to, and you pay rent or you lease things. And that would be my strategy going forwards.
0: Okay. Yeah, makes sense. But what I want to double click here is why 50% in fiat?
1: That was just a, um, a level that my wife and I felt comfortable at right. when it came to what we were doing with our money. Got it. So yep. obviously, sense. there's there's two of us in this conversation, and mm-hmm. I'm a Bitcoin bull. I yep. would like to have as much Bitcoin as possible, but yes. not everyone believes in it as much as I do. In particular, sure. in my own sure. home. So, yeah, sure. um, that was just a okay. I'm pretty sure it's going massive, but. Yeah, you know, let's 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 see it's not
0: uh yeah you can choose not to answer my next question but i just wanted to know like have you explored at your self-managed super fund or are you just like i'll let the let that be aside uh...
1: well i only moved to australia recently so my super is tiny to be honest but okay yeah i i'm i i only buy bitcoin in my self-managed super
0: so it is your self-managed super so you do have a self-managed super
1: i have a i have a very small self-managed super fund
0: yeah Okay, so okay, so it's not it's not part of any other fund.
1: Like, um, well, I have personal assets that are yeah. not part of the Australian super system. Right. Okay. So they were before oh, I moved okay. to Australia two years yep. ago. I owned the right. stuff already. Yep. So since I moved here and started gaining a salary, yes, government pays you your super, yep. um, because of your salary. Like, if mm-hmm. you didn't take a salary in Australia, you wouldn't get a super. Right? Yep. Right. So the super that I have received. I have been buying Bitcoin.
0: Okay, yeah, and yeah, so so it is your self-managed super that you and you, and you're buying Bitcoin with it. Makes sense, yes. Uh, yeah. So what make it, uh, made you move to Melbourne?
1: Uh, my wife. <laughs> so my wife's Australian. Okay. Um, we moved yeah. here in December 2019. 2019.
0: Perfect timing.
1: Yeah. Fucking awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it turned up just before the lockdown stuff happened and yeah. which had a baby in July of 2020 so we were locked in our house we had a new new baby. Um that was a horrible horrible period as someone that's yeah. also obviously based in Melbourne it was a tricky time. Yes, yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, my partner was working as a chef and uh, yeah, as she was out of work for I think over a year and being like we're both passport holders so we're both international there's no government support towards her, like at least for me. Yep. I was working in uh, uh what was it? What was the term used? But critical, uh, I can't remember what was the exact term used for, but a critical business or whatever they mm. wanted to call it. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was a difficult time, Eric, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's just bullshit. Like of course, yeah, the the, the individual was completely and utterly uh, devalued at the expense of the uh, the collective, mm. and. The people that were setting the public health policies of this town that we live in, um, if you disagreed with them, you know, you can't have a job. You're not allowed in the pub. Yep. You're not allowed out of your house. And it was like, we're doing this for the greater good. And as soon as you start looking at the incentive model behind it, you know, it's just bullshit. The whole thing was a complete scam. And it's scary. It's so scary that a government was willing and able to treat its populace like that, using aggressive propaganda. Um, none of these vaccinations are, are actually approved yet. They're still in their trial phase. Yeah. Every single person I know has a family friend or a story of an adverse event. So the mm. safe and effective slogan was complete bullshit. And you have to wonder why. What was the risk? Under, under a percent. You know, it's just, it's crazy. And it's yes. like, sorry, mate, you can't work because you're not essential. All right, well, who gets to decide what's essential work or not? Hmm. Oh, okay, all of your buddies that support your political party are still open, construction sites being like the prime example. <laughs> you know, it just, it was, it, was a, it was an absolute mess and a great example as to how I would never run a country if I was ever in that position. Hmm. And I just, I feel like maybe it's kind of pushed me in an interesting direction in a sense for the rest of my life. But I, I believe very strongly in taking responsibility for yourself And, you know, how I decide to live my life is none of your fucking business. But don't worry, you know, the the Ten Commandments or whatever you want to quote back to you. I'm not a religious man, but they're pretty straightforward. It's like, don't piss anyone off. Don't steal their wife. Don't kill them. um, And we'll be good. Okay, cool. I can judge for myself what should go in my mouth and what should go in my body. Hmm. Because I want to live for as long as I can. And frankly, I don't want to be 48 when I die. So I've yep. been, you know, thinking about these things for a long time. And so, yes. yeah, I won't rant for any longer on this subject, but it was a, a moment in my lifetime where I felt very vulnerable because I didn't know where my water was coming from, didn't know where my money was going to come from, I didn't yes. know where my food was coming from, mm. and I had a newborn child, I was a father, and I was stuck in a house. Right. And you're like, whoa, this is a situation I can never never, never let happen again. So yes. touch wood, it won't. Yep. So,
0: like... Going forward, I think there was this particular bill that we in Victoria, Melbourne, that they were passing, which gave them, uh, is or uh, yeah, which is going to give them authority to lock up lock this place down again, right? So, like in the future, do you see yourself moving out of this place, like out of uh, to somewhere that is more friendlier, like for the people living there, or is that or that something like? Good question.
1: Yeah. This this was a this was a subject that my wife and I had multiple times per day and still do sometimes. Yep. like where do you live? Hmm. Um, you can't live in a Bitcoin, is what hmm. Los likes to say, and she's quite right. But one of my counterpoints to that is, well, you could live in a house that you own that the government nearby tells you you can't leave. Right? Is that you know safe? Not really. So the answer is I don't know whether we might leave or not. But whilst I'm having a young family. Um, I will be in Australia. I yep. feel like I want to be here long enough to get my Australian passport, right? So that you know, if I ever wanted to come back, it wouldn't be so difficult to get back in. So that's another yep. eighteen mm. months or so from now. So a very short-term sure. s- state of being. But um, one of the advantages to taking a Bitcoin-heavy position as a as a family mm-hmm. is the the geographical flexibility it brings right so you can go anywhere you want in the world you can spend your bitcoin you can take them with you Mm -hmm. no one can take them off you this is a completely different paradigm to historical wealth management where you know let's say you have a an equities and bond portfolio it's run likely via a bunch of intermediaries that have to look after it for you and if you want to sell it it takes days to sell it and it's got to go into a bank account you have to register all this stuff with the local government and pay taxes and And not that i'm not willing to pay tax It's just that it's just a more laborious process to access your wealth. Mm. And finally, you know, owning, owning physical real estate is the ultimate kind of anchor to a place. Yes. Whereas I do believe in the concept of free markets and the idea that a place is treating you poorly, you know, instead of arguably, instead of marching on the streets and saying, fuck you, you just leave. Yes. And over time. They make it more and more egregious to live in a place the most productive people they're not going to stand for it they just say look i'm leaving and with a bitcoin heavy position you can do that and so yes i fully intend on looking into living in places like mexico or depending on their vax uh, certificate requirements bali um i've looked at the process of getting second passports and third passports and living in between countries and all these things
0: so while you have your, so I'm guessing you have your, what's it, UK passport? I have a UK passport, which is can, where I grew up. Yeah. And do yeah. You, can you hold, like, does UK allow you to have dual passports? Yep. yep. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah Cause India, so. yeah. Cause India doesn't allow that. Yeah. Really?
1: Okay. Yeah. So you'd have to adopt another country. Interesting. Allow,
0: yep. Yep. Yeah. Something that I'm trying to work out on the side. I'm still like, there's a few hurdles to jump. Tide. I'm not sure whether it's possible even, but. My grandfather is Portuguese, so I, I, there's some way of me getting a Portuguese passport, but yeah, I need okay. to look in, but then yeah, so, because Portugal yeah, well, is an interesting place to, I mean, in, in terms of, I think it's no tax on crypto and yeah, they have some other laws that are Well, I
1: think that the, the, the key is that asking questions is okay mm. and what's happened in, in recent times is we've been affected in such an extent in our day-to-day lives that we're asking questions. Yes. We're going, well, hang on. What is freedom? Mm. Hang on. What does it mean to own stuff? Um, what am I happy to pay to a government? And how am I happy to be treated by my local government? And, you know, it depends how you answer those questions. And it depends how well you see them being answered. You know, just stupid shit. Like you cannot leave your house for 12 months. Okay. Oh, and we want nine hundred dollars tax for your road tax. Mm. No. W- why should anyone pay that? Like, it didn't yes. make any sense. Never. There's no; these governments are too thick. They don't; they don't have any way of talking to each department. It's just; it's just; it's basically ineptness. That's what yeah. it is. I think we have to understand; it's not necessarily malicious. There is definitely an evil in the world. There's nefarious stuff going on all over the place, but more often than not, it's just human ineptitude. Mm. And I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I I'd love to know where to set my family up, but. Um at the same time, you have to you have to make compromises somewhere. And okay. so, you know, half of my Australian well, half my family is Australian. They live here in Melbourne. If we're not living okay. here and we're not living in the UK, then where are we going to live? And then how mm. are you going to see them? And yes. What what you know, how does that play into your mind? And mm. uh, I don't know. It's it's a really difficult question to answer. Um yep. but I, I like that. Yeah, it comes back to Bitcoin. By taking yes. a Bitcoin heavy position, I am buying myself more optionality when it comes to, you know, what I can do to put food on the table for my family and where I have to live, which is, you know, four or five years from now, I'm hoping to never have to work for anyone else ever again. And awesome. I'll be able yep. to put food on the table anywhere sure. in the world because mm-hmm. we can travel there. Does that make right. sense? Yep, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah,
0: it does. Have you read The Sovereign Individual? I'm not, yeah, I, I have, was yeah. yeah. Excellent yeah. book. Excellent
1: yes. book. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite extraordinary how much intellect is out there that you can go and find for mm. next to next to zero cost. I mean, it's yes. just amazing.
0: Okay, another thing that I, another thing that you started that I noticed was the Bitcoin mining Telegram group and then the Twitter handle as well. Yeah. Bitcoin mining in Australia. So, have you explored mining? Like, what are your thoughts on that? And
1: yeah, so um, one of my best mates. Um, Simon James shout out if you're listening he is based in Perth and has been into Bitcoin for a few years and him and I have talked a lot about it and he's particularly interested in energy because he works in he has his own little solar business and he's looking at Bitcoin mining Um, and so we were chatting about it a bit and I said okay well it's not what I can bring to the table maybe I can start something and anyway so I built this Telegram put this Telegram group out on Twitter and we had a bunch Hmm. of kind of online meetups and um, there's now, I don't know, three, four hundred people in the Telegram group talking about Bitcoin mining all day long. So it's it's been quite an extraordinary kind of um, bit of organic growth. So when it comes to mining, I'm not an engineer. Hmm. It's a very engineering heavy space. Um, it requires an understanding of computer science. It requires an understanding of energy and energy networks and how to yep. you know, harness all sorts of different energy forms, whether it be gas or Um, other types of, you know, electricity generation sources. Um, I would say that what I've learned from it is, well, it's one of the reasons I'm so bullish on Bitcoin is that the network that is backing it up is just, it's it's the best computer network that's ever been built by mankind. And it's the most brilliant defensive system. Like to actually kill it is Mm. next to impossible. Like no one's going to be able to kill it. And it's only through my investigation of Bitcoin mining that I've understood that. Mm. Um, I'd love to be involved in a Bitcoin mining project. I don't have anywhere on my property to actually have any home miners, yes. so I've not tried it myself yet. Mm. And any of the projects I have been working on, they're just they're just slow. They take time. Um, you know, for example, we're looking at a project that's up in Queensland with a big oil and gas company that have some um flared gas opportunities Mm. and trying to get you know anything up and running just takes a long long time because there's regulations you've got to teach the oil and gas company what the benefits of it are how to actually do it very few people in australia have got any kind of large scale bitcoin mines up and running so it's it's a very 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 new industry but i would say that australia is arguably one of the most interesting places to bitcoin mine given yes it's so fucking massive and what Bitcoin mining does is it's like a buyer of last resort. So mm. it's a way of, of monetizing energy anywhere, as long as you have an internet connection. So yes. traditional energy assets, and this is something I work with a lot in the shipping space. We've mm. got a coal mine. Well, yeah, hang on. You find coal. Great. Who are you going to sell it to? Ah, thankfully there's a city of 12 million people just a few miles away. Great. Well, what if there's no one nearby Well, you've got a, ship it somehow or you've got to truck it or you've got to rail it to port you've then got to move it halfway around the world so as a shipping broker i move cargo from australia and all number of other kind of coal producing nations all over the world people buy this stuff they move it hundreds and hundreds of nautical miles in order to Mm. burn coal either to create electricity or to put into steel mills or whatever they might be doing so bitcoin enables you to monetize that coal at source so you just build a generator at the coal mine. You pump mm. the coal through the coal mine, uh, the generator, and you sell that electricity to Bitcoin mining mm. hardware. Mm. That is then paid to solve, you know, com- complex, complex, complex um, math problems, mathematical problems, in order to, you know, create the extra blocks. Yes. This is a innovation that really no one understands the the beauty of it, or the mm. benefit, or the potential. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very bullish on Bitcoin mining long term as a kind of infrastructure play as an investor, but equally as an ability to make us more energy efficient. Yep. And um, though it'll change the face of the world. I mean, <clears throat> the, the ability to create energy in far flung places that couldn't previously have it created means we're going to have, you know, if you think about most of the global populations in urban areas that are generally speaking at the mouth of rivers, yes. you know, we live in ports. Yep. We don't need to do that any longer. Okay. You can live in the middle of fucking anywhere as long as there's energy. Yes. Um, you know, whether it be a big, a big waterfall or huge stranded natural gas deposits, any number of different things. Yep. I'd say the main thing that's holding Australia back at this stage is the regulatory environment's not as friendly as it could be. And Mm. it's much better in somewhere like the States. Um and so yeah, there's there's some there's some issues to that, but I'm sure we'll see a lot of Bitcoin mining in Australia in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean it in and just using methane from like uh, what's it landfills, right? Like that can be used to mine Bitcoin as well. Uh,
1: capture. Anything methane can be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So capturing so really it doesn't, methane it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what energy asset hmm. you have. Yep. If you can run a turbine from it, and therefore you can generate electricity, hmm. then you can arguably create a Bitcoin mine. Yeah. The problem like, is, is that yeah. the 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 cost of energy that the Bitcoin mining network is able to access is extraordinarily cheap. Yes. So, you know, I could have 50 blokes on a, a bicycle machine that runs a turbine that creates electricity, <laughs> but the amount of electricity you're going to create is going to be very small hmm. and it can be very, very expensive because you have to pay humans to be on a, you know, basically a rabbit wheel. It yes. doesn't make sense. You will be up against, like, for example, one of the reasons why the Chinese were the market leaders in Bitcoin mining was because they have all of these dams in, you know, the Himalaya regions of of China that were yep. hydroelectricity dams, yep. Yep. but they couldn't sell all the energy. So it was a very simple process of going, okay, well, we can set up some some Bitcoin mines and we'll just sell the energy, if not give it away for free, to these mining companies. Yep. So they were able to get $0 kilowatt hour energy. So you can't compete against that, hence you need to find energy that's um, that's in some way a waste. So that's why the methane flaring is a really interesting one. because. Mm. Know, regulatory environments are getting stricter and so just simply burning gas into the into the air is you know a lot of environmental issues with that from a regulatory perspective um, mm. obviously that's a wider discussion as to whether or not it's actually that big a deal but um, <laughs> the the point is is you have to find a distressed energy asset that's willing to you know create very cheap electricity yep. to compete with the global um, mining network
0: yeah, we can go on talking about mining and like all this. Yeah, it's another rabbit hole by itself. But one last thing that I wanted to pick your head on, uh, considering that you're now, I mean, you have a—you have your first child, you're getting your second one on the way. And uh, yeah, regarding schooling, like how do you see that? Because recently I saw a video in the States where there's, there's kids in the class, they're probably 10 years old or younger, all wearing face masks. And then they were handed out crickets to try to
1: eat as snacks? (laughs) Um, well, I mean, short answer is I'm exploring what it means to homeschool. Mm. Um, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out. I currently have a kind of two tiered system with how I get daycare for my child, which is a local, um, kindergarten and, um, and a lady who comes to the house. Um, Ruby's only two, so it's still a bit early doors to really think of a long-term strategy. But um, yeah, I mean, I I seem to have this kind of maybe wishy-washy vision of being a a relatively mobile family that's able to live wherever they want. And Mm. I'll be running a digital business. My podcast is going to get bigger and I'm going to be able to make money from that. And um, with that comes the ability of teaching your kids. Like, What I really want is to buy myself time. I don't want to have to work. For someone else, five, yes. six days a week, 12, 15 hours a day. Mm. I'd like to be able to look after my kids, you know, six days a week or four days a week or whatever mm. your balance might prove to be. Yep. Um, And so then you have the opportunity to not have to outsource the education of your children. And so, you know, I think there's all sorts of cool stuff going on there. And of course, it, it comes back from the Internet. But the Internet's just changed everything you can access some of the best teachers in the world for a fraction of the cost when you want. That's insane. Why would you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to send children to local private schools and they'll have to, you know, like a simple one. Like here in Australia, there's a rule called no jab, no play. This means that if your child isn't up to date with the government-recommended vaccination schedule, they cannot access locally government-funded childcare, which is most of the childcare this is absolutely nuts and there's all sorts of stuff where you could say well hang on is that even necessary to give to a child that age when you look Mm. at the schedule that they're supposed to go through and that scares the shit out of me to be honest like what else is the government going to require you to do to your child in order to get the the honor of their education system you know it's yeah that scares me a lot to be honest so um that's why we've chosen not to go down the government route because we're not sticking to the government schedule and so yes, one because. day there might well be a a case of well, we need to just do this ourselves. so I'm very open to looking at different ways of doing things, and homeschooling could be a really, really exciting part of my life mm. that generations before me, old school English families we you know I was packed off to a boarding school when I was eight years old. Right. you know the idea of looking after your child as a hands on dad is like, what the fuck are you doing, mate <laughs> you know. So yeah. it, it would be a big change, but I'm, I'm very open to the concept. It just really depends how how yes. I manage my commitments and how I fund our, our costs as a family and how much time one mm. can free up and how yep. many kids we have and all that kind of stuff. Yep, yep. It would be cool, though. Like, imagine, yeah. it would be really cool having a, yes. a less yeah. – you know, not being tied to a school curriculum, not being tied mm. to a school timetable, not being tied to a physical geography and – yeah, there's just a lot of things that start to open up as potential when you're able to run a digital business.
0: Yeah, I know. And like, I've been listening to Daniel Prince's podcast, and he talks about it often. So yeah, a few things that come to mind, like, is that, say, uh, yeah, yeah, I was in a traditional school as well. So say, if I'm really getting into the science class, and then half an hour later, the bell rings, and then now I go into a language class. Mm. So like, there's that there's one of those dynamics so next one is that we all batched in together uh, the similar age group but in but once you're done with schooling and once you're done with your once you're done with the education system you're thrown out into to the real world and then you're just among people like of all different age groups right yeah yeah
1: yeah I've got an episode with Daniel that's going to come out soon um, oh that's sick and yeah. we're, we've, we've chatted before um he's a great guy I really I mean he's one of the large inspirations behind my current thinking. But he's surely totally yeah. ahead of me. You know, his mm. kids are teenagers now, almost. Yep. yep. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's. I think the thing that he describes that really hit home for me the most was school doesn't teach discipline; it teaches obedience. Mm. And it was a really like kind of almost profound comment because you know, <laughs> discipline is perhaps more translated as the ability to sit down and set your mind to something and. Either train to do something physically, or um, learn a new subject in a way that was, you know, how you want to do it. Like right now, I'm trying to work out how to build my podcast, and I'm thinking, okay, I could have a better website, or I could have mm. show notes, or I could have, you know, all number of different things. Cartoon of uh, caricatures of the guests, or you know, you name it. Right, there's a hundred ways you could improve it. Yes. Like how do you monetize this thing? How do you grow the 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 audience numbers? And discipline is setting yourself a task of improving things but then also working out what's the best framework to do it and mm. least this is what i think but then you know when in a schooling setting like discipline is turn up on time you know wear a smart shirt mm. don't talk in class mm. you know that they're they're actually it's like it's just blind obedience why why do i have to do those things and daniel just points out the kind of farcical nature of it in a brilliant way so, yeah, I I really respect him, actually, and he's um, been a big influence already. I know I said last
0: question, but last question now. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you started, like, firstly, what got you into starting your podcast? And, like, how's that experience? Like, how's that experience been so far? Um,
1: so when was it? So, I have a YouTube channel that's currently dormant called We're So Bloody Early. And I started it with two mates, Jigs and Matty. And we posted uh, roughly two, about 20 episodes in total. The first 10 was the three of us talking about our experience of coming to Bitcoin. Mm. And the second 10 was with with guests. Okay. Um, and, you know, I started, I, I, created a podcast back in 2017, it was called The Green Adventure, and it was all about investing in early stage clean tech startups. So I okay. in- interviewed entrepreneurs, I interviewed founders. Sorry, they're the same thing, entrepreneurs, founders, I interviewed mm-hmm. investors. Um, and I was really interested in podcasts as what at the time was something useful called deal flow. So if you're an early stage investor. You want to see lots of opportunities. Mm. Those opportunities are basically pitch decks and, op- and, and yep. entrepreneurs. And your deal flow is your number of pitches per year that you get to see. And the more you can see, the better, i.e. the probability of finding a good deal in that flow comes uh, gets higher. And so I was always interested in podcasts in general and listened to them, obviously, all the time. Like everything I learn now is pretty much done via podcast, has been for years. Uh, and I enjoyed that process back in 2017. So then I teamed up with Jigs and Matty. And we did some YouTube stuff, talking more about Bitcoin. And I just knew that. Um, well, first of all, I found it hard to uh, like to have a really deep conversation with four people, with three people interviewing one, for example. Mm. Really hard as a format. Yeah. So I, I I thought that one-to-one interviews were a better format. And thanks to Maddie and Jigs, I got up and started talking about Bitcoin in public. And through, you know, that kind of shared experience, I realized that I wanted to start a Bitcoin podcast of my own. And you know, they were also interested in the wider crypto space as well. So I'm more interested in just specifically Bitcoin. Um, Got it. So yeah, I started. uh, I've done about 30 episodes now. Yes. Excitingly, as of the 1st of September, I'm getting sponsorship. So I've found a sponsor. awesome yeah congrats yeah thank you very much very exciting um and the journey is just beginning to be honest it's it's already been a, a very rich experience um i've created already you know a new network of people and i'm more excited than ever before that bitcoin really is the most incredible thing that is going to change my life it's going to change everyone's life that's in connection with it if you bother to sit down and do the work and you get past all of the the misinformation the disinformation the skepticism there is something truly incredible going on in the world of money Mm -hmm. and that specifically is a new type of neutral money that it, it it embellishes a meritocracy in the world rather than what we have today which is you know a, a drastically unequal society where a small few control everything yes and it's just going to be the most incredible building block for entrepreneurship and arguably you know a true digital renaissance as a result of of solving this kind of last piece of the puzzle mm. um and yeah it's it's just amazing i mean you know i've spoken to people in guatemala i've spoken to people in um in kenya in togo in parts of europe in australia yeah. in the states and there's all these talented people converging on a neutral monetary network. Yeah, why is that? Mm. And that's what I explore. That's awesome.
0: Thanks, Jake. Once again, thanks for making the time. And that's all right. And- yeah,
1: Merrick, I'd love to ask you a question if I can before sure. we disappear. Sure. If you've got another five minutes, that of course, great. Uh, yeah, yeah. So just to to kind of throw the question back at you. So, um, what was you know the genesis behind your podcast and? Why did you start it? And um, what did you want to learn? And what have you learned as a result of doing it?
0: Sure. Yeah, so I think this was back in 2018. Like, that's when I moved here to Australia. And then I was, I I made a few friends. And there's this one particular guy that I used to, I mean, we used to study together, and then we found work together. And like, so we always talking and he's like, And he was big into podcasts. Like, I don't think I had gotten, like, what podcasts were. I mean, I was listening to Joe Rogan on and off. And, like, that was about it. And what he said to me, like, we were having these conversations. He's like, let's just record all of this and, like, put it out there. And, like, he's been, like, you know, telling me that for years. And then... and. I think it was 2020 we bo- we finished stud- uh, studying we went a separate way as he moved to gold coast and then he kept telling me like oh let's let's start this podcasting so i was like okay and i think it was yeah i think 2020 i was like okay i have my tax money coming back you know we get our tax return around this july period i was like okay i'll, I'll buy the equipment and let's do it like you know and then yeah so then i got the equipment he had like he's he's into music and so he had some equipment with himself uh, like he had some equipment and I was like, I was more on the sort of more on the technical and a little more fidgety side. So I said, I'll set up this. I was, I started exploring like we didn't know anything about like how to podcast, like where do we put out the RSS feed and like how do how do we go about all of that, right? So I started exploring all of that, and then I just created this podcast that I'm currently using, and just as a test bed, and I I just. And at that point I was, yeah, shit coining a bit and I was like helping another friend shit coin. So I was Mm -hmm. like, so I like recorded my first episode just navigating of how do you buy crypto and like how do you store crypto and like all this like best practices around, you know, having your seed phrase and all of that. And I put that out as a first episode just to, I mean, just to see how it's going to look and how it's going to sound and all of that. And then when I go back to this friend and I tell him, like, you know, let's, yeah, let's go kick it off. And then he's like, let's focus this podcast only on spirituality. Uh, and I was like, uh, like, it, yeah, I mean, it sounds good. Like, but I don't want to, I don't want it to be one thing. Like, I don't want it to be just spirituality or just cryptocurrency or just. So then we went our separate ways. He started focusing more on what he wanted to do. And like, yeah, since then, we've been using this testbed. And doing my own podcast since then and the journey has been wild man like I've been meeting so many different people and like so many people that I would otherwise not like be able to speak to and like learn from them and yeah it's been been exciting and I think one other reason that I decided to do it as well which I didn't highlight is sometimes I think I tend to stutter while I speak and I'm nervous. and I'm, I'm an introvert. And I think like, that's another thing that I wanted to like, okay, I'll do, I'll do this podcast to challenge myself and just to improve on those lines as well. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well done. No, it's awesome. It's, um, it's a very rich process finding out like how to speak yes. to people, how to connect to people, how to learn from them. Mm. Um, so well done. Keep going. And um, thank you very much for having me on.
0: Thanks, Jake. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks guys for tuning in and if you enjoyed the show, all I ask is that you share it with one other person and I also recommend that you use podcasting 2.0 apps like Breeze or Fountain FM. I'll link them down below. This will help you earn Bitcoin while you listen and it will also help support the show. Once again, thanks for tuning in and I'll see you in the next one.